0: Ben Hartley, where you get the positive energy you need to help you grow your business, your relationships, and your mindset. If you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog post, visit sixfigurephotography.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. My name is Ben Hartley. Thank you so much for being here. The purpose of this place, man, so many peas. gee whiz is to help you grow your business. <laughs> so many. Uh, it's to help you grow, help you grow your business. And uh, and so I'm really grateful that you're here, that you're focused up, that you're dedicated to improving yourself uh, and and what you produce uh, for for your family, yourself, your clients. It's incredible. Um, today, we have uh, a really exciting guest. We got Sam Hurd. And I say he's exciting because Sam doesn't know this, but I've been paying attention to this kid for a long time. And uh, I say kid like you, like, like I'm like a child. I am an infant over here. Um but it's really exciting for me to uh, to have someone that I've looked up to from a uh, from a creative standpoint, uh, and and we're just going to chat. We're going to see what we can talk about because he is a he's really a photography wizard of sorts. I love Sam's focus is really about getting things right in camera, and that's always been my passion as a photographer as well is getting things right in camera. But he has definitely added a few extra layers to the complexity of getting it right in camera, and so uh, really excited to bring him to you guys today. He's out in D.C. Baltimore area, wedding photographer uh, out there. And um, incredible educator, and so we're going to be diving in. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. That was quite the intro. I liked all the yeah that, I, was, that was nice. Maybe <laughs> make it rhyme <laughs> next time. <laughs> make it. Yeah, I know. Like I, I sometimes I think I have. Well, not sometimes. I always have Benisms in that. In the moment, I'm always, uh, I feel like I probably say the same intro every single episode and I'm always surprised by it. Like, I think I always alliterate at the same, like, at that same point of the intro. And then I'm always like, oh my goodness, that was a lot of alliteration. Like, it surprised me. But if I were to go back the last three episodes, I probably did the exact same thing and even commented on it. Um, (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So, so actually, this is a great place to start. Sam, do you have any like Samisms? Oh, I. Goodness, I'm sure that I do. Um,
1: oh, now that I just said the word "um," I feel like that's gonna. Start. I, I attribute that to you know me, and I know it's a it's a common issue when people speak or record or, or talk in general, uh, especially public speaking. They say the word "um" and stuff all the time. I don't know.
0: I have to think about that. Maybe they'll okay, uh, yeah. surface to the top as we. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe
0: they'll find their way through in this episode and we will call them out as we do. I'm like, I think that was one of them. Please
1: critique my podcasting, uh, yeah, isms.
0: <laughs> Your okay, sure thing. Okay. So Sam, you've been a wedding photographer for is it nine years? Are we going past nine years now? Yeah.
1: Um, let's see. I did my very first wedding the year 2010. So yeah, man, we are we were well into 10 years now. I did start a few years professionally in photography a couple couple years before that, uh doing kind of news, press conference, news making luncheon type events uh in downtown DC. Yeah. And kind of kept that up alongside the weddings for a while. But ever since that very first wedding, that first year, uh, that is the only kind of work, the only genre of work uh, that I've actively tried to shoot more of, tried to get more work. Uh, I do a lot of other things as they pop up, but that's just due to circumstance or luck or coincidence.
0: <laughs> so. Sure, sure. Yeah, I totally understand that. It's like you position yourself as a wedding photographer and then things happen and you're taking pictures of other stuff sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay, awesome. Yeah, I started in 2010 as well. So right, oh, right there with you. It's awesome. So I want to read something on your website. I imagine a lot of our conversation is going to be a little bit more focused on the wizardry. Okay, <laughs> That's sure. kind of what you're known for, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and and editing the, and the creative process. Um, but I want to read something and i and I'm curious about it it's so fascinating to me the kind of uh, hill that you've you've decided to commit to the hill that you're going to die on. Mm-hmm. And so it's such uh-huh. a it's such a dark phrase. Um, but this is what what I read on your site. So you you balance two different intentions with your photography. The first being images with no explanation needed. Right? There's a story. There's a moment, emotion. It's clear and powerful. Mm-hmm. But the second one is what I, I want to focus on. The second are photographs with more mystery behind them, where the circumstances aren't totally obvious and your imagination is left to fill the story. Now, here's the hill that you're dying on that I'm really interested in. No matter what, every effect you see is done in camera and not Photoshopped. Mm-hmm. You know, there's photographers out there who position themselves as like, well, my niche is like, I, I shoot only on film, or I only shoot in black and white, or I'm a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a cake-smashing baby photographer. Like, they've got these little focuses, you know, that they're very hyper into, and yours is a commitment to never photoshop. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, well, just in terms of the core idea being developed and and executed in camera. I I definitely use Photoshop as a, you know, tool to remove Dust specs or adjust cropping. I actually do the majority of my sharpening in Photoshop. I don't, I use a, an old Photoshop action that I discovered back in 2010 and I continue to use to this day. So it's not like I have anything against Photoshop. For me, it's the, uh, that constraint, giving myself a personal sort of challenge or, or constraint of making the, the core idea, executing it in the camera yields much. Uh, higher quality work overall. The, you know, I had this sort of realization with zoom lenses, actually. My first... Lens was a prime lens, but I desperately quickly was like, "Oh, I need the twenty-four to seventy zoom to cover everything I needed at a wedding," and that was like the very next lens that I bought. I actually bought this the Sigma version. I can't quite remember the the model, but it was a piece of junk, and that was before Sigma <laughs> was anywhere close to the quality they are now. They've kind of had to claw their way back from their their old lenses back in the day. Oh, yeah, and just I spill. remember.
0: I think I was on a Tamron version when yeah. I started as well because I couldn't I couldn't uh, shell out for the Canon, so I went yes. Tamron. And you're right. Total piece of junk. Oh my gosh. So I, uh, but once
1: I acquired my first zoom lens or series, you know, the Holy Trinity of zoom lenses, I eventually got the Nikon 14, 24, 24 to 70, 70 to 200. And I was like, Oh, this is great. Now I have every option available to me for any challenge that I'm presented with. And I realized I wasn't, I as motivated or Con, because I lacked constraint, I had such an infinite number of options available to me that I i don't know, something within me, the motivation to push myself, sort of evaporated creatively. Uh, I just kind of went with the flow and, and adjusted accordingly as whatever was unfolding in front of me happened. And I, I realized that the day I put my 24 to 70 in my backup bag, on the other side of the room and really committed to a particular focal length, the 50 millimeter, for example, that's kind of my bread and butter range. Uh, I started to uh, see things in a different way and have sort of a leg up a, a different sort of more refined starting point so that there was more headroom in my kind of creative, uh, processing power in my brain to, to do more interesting things. And Mm -hmm. so that same theory, that same, you know, playing a game, if you will, with yourself to just decide, like, I'm going to create this constraint and just see what happens, um, in, in this case, in my example on the website, uh, making whatever in camera, uh, really goes a long, long way. I struggle, you know, with Photoshop as an idea, because if you wanted to do like double exposures or Photoshop effects in, you have literally infinite options available to you. I don't even know where to start. Like mm-hmm. I, I, and so it just never, nothing creative ever comes out. It just, I never do it. So, but, Uh, In the moment on the wedding day when I want to do a double exposure or use a prism or whatever variety of things I I typically uh, lean into, it gets done. It gets out there. And then the more you practice that, uh, working against that constraint, the the higher quality and the better it becomes. Your intuition builds and it all kind of becomes second nature. Then you have to do other things to trick yourself or or force constraint because just making it in camera it's like actually that's kind of easy for me now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's sort of the theory behind it all. It's just a way to to keep kind of the creative spark lit. And you know, with cameras becoming so incredible these days, you're you're able to photograph with the assumption now with a lot of these mirrorless tools especially the recent Canon, uh, that I shoot with the R6, um, that camera, I, I can now go into basically any collection of photos that I took from a day with the assumption that it's, it's likely to be in focus and it's the exception when it's missed focus. Mm. Things have kind of flipped from 10 years ago when you were shooting Canon, where it was like, you better <laughs> hope that you got the one shot you wanted in focus. The it, 5D Mark two. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. So that, um, legwork, that effort and, and everything sort of, uh, frees up a lot of headroom for you to, to come up with new ways to push yourself and focus is no longer a thing. Like it's, well, it is, but hardly uh, compared to what it used to be. Eventually th- that'll be the same with, you know, dynamic range, high ISO. I mean, we're basically already there anyway. Cameras are getting so easy. You need to look for other ways to, to really, uh, find the limits of what you can do and. uh Anyway, so that's <laughs> the long rambling answer to
0: that. No, I love it. The Out theory. of curiosity, you know, even what you just said, the limits of the camera, you know, um, I wonder if it'll ever transcend professionally just, you know, the dynamic range and the and your ISO and and, and you know, all these things. And I wonder if we're gonna get into like what's happening on iOS, like with the iPhone, where we're getting algorithmic exposure yeah. adjustments. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. uh, where, man, have you ever been photographing like, so, okay, so I got a family here, right? And I'll, I'll grab my little Fuji camera and I'll go out and I'll start taking pictures with them. And then I'd, sometimes I'll just grab my phone and I'll start taking pictures. And I'm like, I can't get, <laughs> yeah. I can't make it look like it's being produced algorithmically in the iPhone that I can't mm-hmm. like, I can't even get that result. And it certainly does look better. Now, obviously, file size and all that kind of stuff. But do you think that'll ever find its way? And this is more of just like pontificating and riffing and and, uh, curious conversation into our professional equipment. I'm very afraid that it won't. I I think these big
1: legacy sort of established camera companies don't want to give up the control on the software side of things. And so that – but they need to because they – don't have the, the the core engineering talent in software to uh, do what they need, and and so much of what iOS specifically, and I mean Google is kind of crazy because they can do a lot of things with just one lens. But so much of where something like an, an iPhone camera has an advantage is the lidar uh, sensors that are on there now, or the multiple camera you know cluster all in one little panel. There's so much they can do with that. And with any basically virtually all professional cameras from Nikon, Canon, blah, 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 they are one singular lens. So there's already a physical limitation. Add to that, the software resistancy that, you know, they seem to refuse to overhaul the interface that, that is on these machines. I think they're definitely going to be uh, continued to be eroded. And yeah, the iPhone is an incredible machine. That being said, the experience of using an iPhone, the the public perception of what's professional versus not, I think it's going to take a long time before somebody would be comfortable hiring a quote professional to document their day and they just walk around with an iPhone the whole time. I, I yeah. could see it being doable before people actually accept it as okay or normal or that yeah. it's going to yield something good. So I don't know. It's a tricky question. I would love to see. I had a lot of fun reviewing a Zeiss camera, the ZX1 that came out uh actually just a couple weeks ago and they Zeiss chose to build their entire camera system around an Android you know a custom iteration of Android and I was like yeah this is exactly what everybody should be doing not only do you get to just pop in some of the mobile apps that are already established like Lightroom mobile and all this directly on your camera but any future updates? The, this, this camera was six thousand dollars, which a lot of people gawked at and said, "Like it's a non-starter. Just get the Leica. It's even smaller, it has a better uh, uh, connection to its phone. Like the software with that Leica built is great. Why bother with this?" Now, he, here's the thing: time will tell if this is actually going to be uh, played out. But Zeiss has the ability now, with Android being the OS that they've built this all on, to make meaningful, huge feature updates Mm. you know it's kind of like a tesla like they're insanely expensive but the amount of value that tesla has been adding just via over-the-air updates is absolutely uh, another universe other leagues better than what you've ever experienced in a car that you used to have to drive back to the dealer and then they pop in a usb stick just to update the maps that would immediately be out of date as you picked it up off the lot like it's insane um anyway so my point is you know building an entire camera body around something like Android leaves uh, potentially a huge amount of value to be added uh, that camera makers could start to maybe justify a more expensive entry point, if that makes sense. And and camera makers, honestly, if the features were completely mind blowing or or totally like they could literally build an entire app for the Zeiss camera specifically just for double exposures in the camera, which would be so cool. And they could start to charge and earn money back, you know, as a company, Doing that. Anyway, there's a lot of issues with the ZX1. I don't mean to sound like it's like this this amazing camera. It's it's pretty amazing for Zeiss's first digital camera release ever. But the fact that Nikon and Canon and even Sony, to a large degree, are so resistant to I, I think Android is the only sort of mobile OS that that could be partnered with. I never could see Apple saying, "Yeah, we're going to yeah. release a camera with Canon." That'd be amazing, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. So it'd have to be Android, but that is clearly the direction these companies yeah. should have gone with, especially not going to Canon that waited so long to launch mirrorless bodies. Like they they should have just use that as an opportunity to overhaul the the user interface, the, the graphic user, user interface. So
0: anyway. <laughs> I yeah. love it. And I've seen a little bit of, so, so I'm a Fuji shooter and certainly I love Fuji's, you know, uh, their kind of whole tagline is value through innovation. And I've seen Fuji do this with their own proprietary software where they're, you know, for example, I'm on the X-T3 right now and they've got the X-T4 and they'll just release a firmware update. They just did where they're just like, Hey, all the autofocus features of the X-T4 are now unlocked in the XT3. Go update. You know, nice. and they'll do these really yeah. big software overhaul updates that you could just go download and now your camera is like yeah, <laughs> like it feels a little bit like a new camera. Um and so I see them and I'm so I'm hopeful maybe that that they'll continue to push into that space even more. Even as I was listening to you, Sam, I was like, man, this is almost like a SaaS model that I could see opening up, like a software as a service subscription-based yeah, type of a thing where you'd, mm-hmm. you know, you'd be on like, uh, just like we're on, um, you know, the Adobe suite, we're paying monthly for their software. Imagine being on a Canon, you know, uh, monthly payment for, for free updates. But for yeah, your, people you know, tend R7. to
1: totally <laughs> I would be 100% on board with that. I know people tend to be really conflicted, almost like ethically or on a moral level, to, to SaaS. But there's absolutely—I mean, just by the nature of technology and innovation, or you know, whatever stuff progressing, you have to expect to pay for that. And unfortunately, you know, just the way old school computing was sort of done with subscriptions and everything, people are really fixated on this idea that hey, if I bought it, I want to own it. But that's fine. But you know, if you really want to push the limits of what the hardware is going to do for as long as it can, you need to be willing, I think, to pay to, to keep that stuff updating. And I'm more than happy to give Adobe my money because they keep make- making these incredibly meaningful updates. Sometimes they break things and I get really furious. But at the same time, like they, they're st- That is what it takes. I I actually pay uh, for something as simple as email. I have an app called Superhuman that I absolutely love. It's $35 a month. And somebody would see that potentially and be like, oh, but Gmail is basically, it's free. Uh, that's crazy. But as much time as I spend in email for an app that works fantastically is, is always updated as you know newer iOS versions come out, macOS versions, they're adding new features. Like I am more than happy to pay 35 bucks for something that I spend time in every single day. And uh, anyway, that's, yeah. Uh, I would love to see that with cameras. And I think that unfortunately though, it's gonna take, some relinquishing of control. A Fuji, it sounds like I, I don't have a huge amount of experience with the Fuji ecosystem, but it sounds like they've, I don't know, the, the amount of firmware changes that get issued in Nikon and Canon cameras is, it's sometimes meaningful, but it's usually fairly limited. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the exception and it's exciting. If it's like, oh my gosh, the, the autofocus is actually better. Uh, it's special and people remark on it. It needs, that needs to be the norm. That needs to be yeah. like, oh, the update is out everybody go do it because there's going to be something amazing and and really rich in value.
0: So, yep. Yeah. Fuji, I mean, it's, it is, um, uh, um, you know, nearly monthly. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm always expecting it. Like when's the next update? When's the next update? (laughs) And it seems like Fuji, I mean, they built their entire mirrorless system from scratch,
1: like what, uh, eight years ago, something like that, their entire, uh, um, interface and everything. But I don't know. I, I think at this point, the writings on the wall, especially for companies like Nikon, who I keep reading these articles that, I, know, man. I mean, the, historically there've been a lot of like camera manufacturers are dying or dead holding on by the, their last breath. But I I legitimately think Nikon is sort of in that stage and, you know, by embracing something that's already sort of been, around for so long. Building something uh, off an Android OS, I think, would save them a lot of money and a lot of time that they probably don't have.
0: T-O. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small businesses. I used to be on like an old school payroll processor from like 1982 and it was terrible. Gusto now has fast, simple payroll processing. Uh, this is the really cool thing. They automatically pay and file your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Um, they make like like W-2s, sending out 1099s. Uh, incredibly easy to run You guys, let Gusto wear one of your many hats. Uh, It gets better because for you podcast listeners, you get the first three months free when you run your first payroll. Try this demo out for yourself at gusto.com forward slash photo. That's gusto.com, G-U-S-T-O forward slash photo. Do you remember when you started your photography business. like It was no small feat. It took late nights. It took early mornings. It took the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier? Uh, Our friends at FreshBooks, they have the solution. So FreshBooks, is invoicing and accounting software and it is designed specifically for small business owners not like massive shops small business owners it is simple it's intuitive and it keeps you way more organized uh well then uh, for me it's, it's like the bottom drawer of like my ikea furniture but maybe you're like the shoebox kind of person with the crumbled receipts either way With FreshBooks, you create and send professional-looking invoices in like 30 seconds tops, and then you get them paid two times faster with automated online payments, file expenses even quicker, and keep them perfectly organized for tax time, which is my biggest downfall is that organization for tax time. And here's the best part. With FreshBooks, it grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and Of accounting. So join the 24 million people who have used Freshbooks. There's a 30 day free trial. There's no catch, there's no credit card required. 30 days free. Go to freshbooks.com forward slash photography. Freshbooks.com forward slash photography and enter six figure photography. And how did you hear about us? That's the little section there. How did you hear about us? Six figure photography. You guys, at this point, Let's hop back to the show. Does Nikon have inve- like when I think about Canon, I think about like Canon is they they invest into so much technology, you know, even outside of just you know the photography space. Does Nikon? Sorry, this is now just <laughs> again. I don't know why I'm apologizing, but I'm just like now I'm just riffing on stuff. Like, does is Nikon got their their uh, hand in line. any? Yeah,
1: kind of like Leica, right? Like Leica actually makes tons of optical, like uh, uh, medical tools and things that they make a lot of money from to help kind of buffer uh, stuff. I don't know. I think Nikon does have something in the like semiconductor related area, microscopes and eyeglasses to some degree, like measuring instruments, but I have no idea. What part of their like company makeup that accounts? Yeah, for.
0: where where that all is? Yeah, but I just took a quick little look. It Looks like measuring uh, measurement instruments, uh, rifle scopes. Didn't see that coming. Like a photolith lith. Oh man, photolithography steps of semiconductor fabrication. <laughs> okay, so Nikon's got something going on. All right, that's good. But you know, the <laughs> money was to be made
1: in consumer products, where it's a way wider audience. It seems like, and, yeah. and anyway, it's it's scary, but uh, a real threat to to these companies that the the mobile side of things is continues to sort of experience Moore's law just on the the optics of everything. And I think that's only going to get more and more advanced and and more uh, appealing for professionals. And all it would take is Apple saying, hey, uh, we're going to release our own camera built on iOS and and not force, you know, yeah, you can get the professional look on an iPhone, but we realize holding an iPhone for eight hours at a wedding would be kind of miserable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's a camera and boom. I mean, that would just like totally. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot yeah. that could happen, but I was really That'd excited, excited that Zeiss was able to do what they did and sort of have proof of concept. And I got a lot of pushback and criticism in my review. People will be like, why, who cares about Lightroom on the camera? You're going to put it on your computer anyway to edit it. It's like, I mean, that's just the beginning of where this could lead. Mm. Uh, how wonderful I think would it be if as you're shooting, you could see your sort of your baseline preset, your starting point preset through the viewfinder through the evf in real time like that would be the the logical next step that's where it should head and i Mm can see sony being you know that they're so beloved by videographers sony making that step before anybody else again making it harder for nikon and canon so anyway
0: (laughs) yeah this is wild well so as much as you are an in-camera you know uh kind of photography wizard of really trying to create something magical um maybe like that the eye doesn't even see i know that you also um spend a considerable time in in the editing side of things yeah. and um and obviously even just in, through this brief interaction that we've had i can tell you know that you're uh you've got chops when it comes to like you're probably testing out a whole bunch of different um uh, uh you know softwares what is mm-hmm. it camera mm-hmm. one is that what it's called camera one yeah. capture one Caption, thank you. Yeah, I was yeah. like, man, I know it's there. It's right there. I haven't messed with it at all, but I know that a lot of people are diehard in that space and <laughs> yeah, using Photoshop and Lightroom and anything else in between. Where do you find what, what kind of software uh, are you currently using for most of your editing?
1: Yeah. Uh, still, the vast majority of my time is spent in Lightroom. Uh, the classic version, I. I hate, every time this comes up, and I just want to get this out of the way, I'm going to <laughs> continuously reiterate how much I hate the naming scheme that that Adobe chose for their Lightroom cloud, or I think it's just called Adobe Cloud lightroom adobe photoshop lightroom or some bullcrap it's the worst name ever they should have just called it lightroom cloud and it's basically the desktop version of the mobile app and then lightroom the classic
0: version of the hold on even that right yeah. there just confused but that's, me i know the but that's desktop what it is. version of the mobile app sam <laughs> that's what it
1: is the the newest version of lightroom the non-classic version is essentially just the mobile app but on your desktop and that's what it is uh it has maybe a few more advanced features, but only recently, only only as they've kind of tried to reach feature parity with the classic version of Lightroom. And uh, anyway, but it's silly, you're right. But they call it like Adobe Lightroom CC and then Adobe Lightroom Classic, I guess, is the most up-to-date version. I do the vast majority of my work in Adobe Lightroom Classic, uh, the one that's existed for the longest amount of time. And I have played around with like Lum- Luminar and like all these sort of AI trying to do AI editing things. And it's just not really there yet. I also really like a piece of software called Exposure uh, from a company called Alien Skin, which is-
0: Oh yeah. I remember Alien Skin. Yeah, Tell man. me more about Exposure. Yeah. Is, that, so, is that its own piece of software? Is that yeah. a plug into Photoshop or a plug to Lightroom?
1: So, yeah. It's its own standalone thing that you can do everything in if you wanted, but the workflow is a bit of a nightmare for- you know, batch work. Uh, And then it also operates as a plugin. So if you do the vast majority of your, your editing look in Lightroom, then you want to do like a finishing touch or some special feature that uh, exposure does that Lightroom can't, it operates as a plugin. You can kind of export out to it. Like you could Photoshop, for example.
0: Okay, Yeah. What what would be an example of that? Like I'm, anytime I'm thinking about like another step in my process, you know, I'm always like very hesitant, like, ah, Let's totally. let yeah. take more time editing than we need to be. So, like, yeah. making an exposure that you just like. Oh, I need that. I really got to do that thing. So,
1: the, these you know separated uh, apps that you know are developed. Uh, they generally program and and write their their uh, code. Kind of from scratch in a lot of ways. So like what um, exposure decides like when it shows you the, the the faders, the channels of like red, green, blue, yellow, like all their sliders um, is actually – oftentimes a different mathematical interpretation of, of that color compared to Lightroom's representation in their HSL sliders, a red, green, blue, blah, blah, blah. And uh, this is why a lot of people love Capture One, not just because the workflow aligns with their brain, but because Capture One has a different set of algorithms that create and yield a totally different look at the end of the day. It's a different mathematical interpretation of the, uh, the raw file. And there's a lot of layers to that. Uh, Sometimes they could have the same interpretation, but oftentimes it's totally different. And that's one reason. Things just look better to a person's eye and just vibes better faster uh, simply because it's a different piece of software. Uh, That's one reason why you might jump over to Exposure. And then other reasons are, uh, for example, Exposure has um, a LUT panel, so built right into uh, you know, super, super easily uh, built right into the the editing tools. You can just pop in a LUT, which, um, you know, photographers, I think are becoming more and more familiar with, but it's really from the video, the video kind of, side, right? yeah, that world. But this is where I've had basically the last year's worth of fun, um, experimenting the, the, with the tools that are the look that a LUT provides with the editing tools and experience of like still photography. And, you know, I don't know if you want to get into it too much, but I basically uh, figured out a way. And I mean, this is people have known how to do this, but I kind of learned it for myself and it unlocked the entire idea in my head. I figured out a way to import a LUT into Lightroom, which allowed me to create an entirely different interpretation, essentially capture the look, like I said, of an exposure or the look of Capture One or you know, any app like that and put it into Lightroom without having to jump out to these other programs to achieve it. So I can capture like it, it, my own set of color algorithms and put it right in line with Lightroom, uh, basically as a creative profile, which is something I think they updated for a couple years ago, and basically edit from there and create an entirely new uh, look in Lightroom using a LUT that, uh, saves time. It, it, like you said, I constantly was like, oh, well, it does look better. I like the way it looks when I jump out of Lightroom and into exposure for this finishing touch and then back into Lightroom, but then you have to convert to JPEG or something. It's like a mess to always have to be jumping out to these other apps. Now you can do it right in line with Lightroom without having to take that extra step. And it's so fun. And it's really, kind of amazing
0: <laughs> but no, it's I also got, got pretty complicated here. <laughs> yeah. we, we almost need to so let's pause for a second because we we jumped right on this this idea of lut and and so i actually started in video production oh cool and so i've always been familiar with uh, uh a LUT, you know but in in after effects or in you know um uh, Premiere, or whatever you're going to be editing in, but I've never really thought about it. Like yeah, <laughs> I'm always just like, oh, does this apply a LUT to it? And and for it anyone who's cool listening, it's just like yeah. a look. It's like a, it's a look, it's an editing feel, you know, to the image. Essentially it's like, yeah, it's color correction more or less, but it's less granular and more of like a, uh, an overall look. Yep. Is that an accurate description, Sam? I'm trying to give my experience of using one. So have you ever like tried to build your own from scratch? Have you ever, uh, you know, I probably made a couple of presets, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in well, and just to be clear, I'm talking about video and probably doing this inside of Premiere uh, or Final Cut Pro. Yeah, seven, not that X shenanigans when it came out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, at the end of the day, it's it's just a look. LUT stands for lookup table, and if you actually look at the table, <laughs> it's just an array. It's a it's a matrix of color. Like you can, okay. I can send you sort of the agreed upon neutral, uh, grid, uh, matrix of color that a LUT starts with. It's literally like an array of green, red, and blue, all lined up in a, in a stack, in a square. Now what's uh, like just having a LUT, uh, that you download from somebody or whatever, doesn't actually mean anything. Uh, it's just an interchange format. The, the, the raw file from your camera whether it be still photography or or uh, a video camera is hitting this interchange this LUT and the LUT is saying okay for this shade or brightness of red I'm going to output this alternative which is why a LUT can act as a preset it can act as a a you know, transform between certain color spaces or, uh, s- different standards and stuff like that. But what's really cool is you can now tools exist that you can take the the baseline starting point of a LUT and basically uh, take like, uh, an editing preset that you made in capture one and apply that to a LUT, And it will permanently transform whatever is being passed through it with that preset applied. Um, so it's <laughs> really hard to explain without like a graph or something. <laughs> but <what laughs> we need able a slide to... deck, Sam. We need a slide deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but essentially that it's it's just an interchange format. But what it is is a a, a representation. So, uh, for example, what I did, I just released a a new editing suite, and I call it Signal Flow, and it's all based on uh, uh, camera profile in Lightroom called bit depth and it's and bit depth is itself just a lot and what I did was take raw footage from the Canon R5 and bring it into a piece of video software actually called DaVinci Resolve okay that yeah let, yeah that lets you take whatever footage you have uh, if it's raw footage It's even better for a lot of reasons, but, uh, and apply mathematical expressions to that, but any editing, whether it's like changing the actual mathematical, uh, like expressions and equations, or just playing with the color grading tools and DaVinci or whatever it is, anything that I do to, uh, the, the footage I can save as a capture and as a LUT and have that look applied in something like Lightroom through the creative profile which I did. And I call it uh, bit depth. And so it's, it's sort of like a preset, but everything that goes into like what's being applied to the LUT uh, can be way more complicated and complex than what Lightroom would allow you to do. Uh, so it's kind of a mouthful. It's really hard to explain, especially for photographers that have never, ever used uh, like a LUT or certain color grading tools for whatever reason. But yeah. that's the idea. I mean, just yeah, At the end of the day, it's really exciting because you can now literally have looks that are totally custom or totally from, um, you know, off-the-shelf pieces of software that you might prefer. Uh, like a lot of people like DaVinci Resolve because of the look and also the workflow, and a lot of people like Premiere. But you can take these looks and capture them and apply them to your still photos now uh, in a way that you've never been able to before. And again, it saves you the step of you know, jumping out of Lightroom to edit in something else. Uh, a lot of people still use Photoshop actions. So, you know, there's really complicated, you know, multi-layered uh, um, uh, adjustment layers that people add to, to whatever, for whatever reason, because they like the look of what Photoshop does to the file. You can save that entire set of layers uh, applied to a LUT and then just pop that into your profile, your camera calibration profile in Lightroom and have access to that without having to jump over to, Photoshop.
0: (laughs) Wait, hold on. Okay. So now, so that, that final statement that you just said that this whole time I'm listening, I've been like, yeah, what's the point? (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear about it. I'm always, I'm always trying to think about someone else who's listening to this podcast. Who's like got a billion bajillion images to edit. And they're like, yeah, but I could just get a similar look good enough with like a regular preset, you know? But what you just described right there, I, I know what you're talking about in terms of the, the yeah i probably all the into photoshop
1: ways. instead of davinci resolve is <laughs> yes we probably should have started there. that's okay we, yeah. were ta- we were talking
0: we were talking video for a little bit yeah. so so then i here's my question though does does the let that you're describing um does that uh it, um would that take let's say um sharpening calculations from no. photoshop so and that's apply the it? only okay. catch
1: the line is okay. drawn at uh exposure color uh basically just tone and color is it if because the nature of the 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 lut lookup table is literally a matrix of color and so if you do anything that like uh cross pixel starts to shift things or break down in between one pixel to the next, like sharpening or adding grain or gradient placements and stuff like that, or brushes, uh, that will not translate that. Okay. That's, so it's literally an interchange of tone and color, but that's the most exciting part anyway. Uh, but no, unfortunately you can't, um, bring over like a sharpened look, uh, or I would be doing that myself, but. Uh, everything else. And the most exciting part of it is color and tone. And again, like, I don't know how often you, or how many actions or how familiar you are with editing using layers in Photoshop, but you can get way more sort of, uh, advanced looks, you know, stacking your layers in Photoshop than you can get in Lightroom a lot of times. Uh, Mm I'd say the vast majority of the time. So you can still use it, but yeah, the, the line is drawn at sharpening, uh, cross pixel stuff. Yeah. Wild. So this look that you have, I'm sorry, you called it signal. The, the the whole pack, the whole package is called Signal Flow. That the core look that it's all built from uh, is called bit depth. That is the name of the like camera calibration profile that's that you see. Signal Flow accounts for like the workshop videos that are included and the presets that I have that are built on top of bit depth. X. So, you know, if you zeroed everything out in Lightroom all of your settings and just applied bit depth uh to the file you would see a shift in color and tone for sure Mm. Um, that was achieved actually by adjusting the math again i did it in davinci resolve using r5 raw footage but um (laughs) uh, i just played with the actual uh, expressions and algorithms to create a different interpretation largely related to the greens and reds that i was never very happy with in lightroom and and so all the presets included with signal flow are built from that as the starting point, which just yield a completely end result than I was ever able to, to get before. So
0: so this idea that you have of signal flow, you keep mentioning the Canon R5 and you know, so I'm a Fuji shooter. Does this bit depth also serve to neutralize all... That's profiles, what's cool. Is there something yeah, that needed to that's do? That's what's exciting.
1: So <laughs> that's why I, I released this through uh, the company called Develop. D V L O P. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they so BitDepth blends against Develop um, they call it develop X, which is the sort of neutralized baseline starting point, uh, for cross sensor, cross camera compatibility. So it does, it's not exact, it's not totally perfect, but it's as close as you can get, uh, you know, especially you can't really account for a lens, different, uh, shifts in color from lenses and stuff like that, but it's really freaking close. And yes, uh, what the reason I built it with the R5 originally is because it was the only camera that I could get my hands on that would give me raw footage, uh, from video. And I really wanted to use resolve because it was the only thing that I could find to, to apply like mathematical expressions. Uh, you can do that through their, um, DaVinci's editing tab called fusion or editing, editing like section called fusion. Anyway. Um, so to answer your question, yes, because I am blending against develop as the, uh, kind of baseline. Uh, interpretation because develop's entire platform is built by taking every new camera that comes out and, try, and matching its sensor uh, color and tone from one to the next. Uh, it's It matches really, really well. You don't have to shoot Canon. And I actually held off from ever even considering releasing editing tools or presets simply because I didn't want to release something and then have like half of everybody say, but I shoot Nikon. So mm-hmm. this doesn't look right to me. And then have to tell people like, well, if you want it to look like me, you got to buy and use the exact same hardware that I use. That sucks. Like, that's not fun. <laughs> so yeah. develop really, uh, created a lot of flexibility by yeah.
0: to Kind of. So that. when you say, um, I, when you say it blends against de- develop, mm-hmm. what do you, what does that mean? <laughs> So you can, when you
1: import the LUT into uh, Lightroom, it's right. They don't call it LUT in Lightroom. They call it a a camera or maybe a creative profile or it's wherever the camera calibration profile, profile, maybe they just call it profile now. Um, So when you import that, you actually have to do it in Photoshop. It's it's so silly to to say it out loud now because it sounds so complex. It's not that hard, but. You import it through Photoshop. And when you do it, you can have just the LUT by itself apply, but you can also say um, at 0% or at, you know, as I'm blending the intensity of the LUT, I wanted to reference another profile uh, that's like a camera calibration profile, which in that setup, I chose Develop X as the reference point. So that exactly like you stated, from one brand to another, as long as Develop has made a profile for
0: that camera to support, it is blending against that. Gotcha. Is that something then, sorry, I'm getting really, this This is this is fascinatingly technical and I hope that the the, the, <laughs> the listeners yeah, who are like are down on off? that are intrigued <laughs> and for everyone else who's maybe like, I don't even know what these like kids are talking about. Maybe this is a like, just give you some ideas of some things to maybe kind of go research the afterwards.
1: The thing is, and, and hold on to your thought. I just want to say out loud right now, like this does seem really complex, but it's not once you've done it like once and it unlocks an entirely new way of thinking about, your editing that, you know, as soon as you can get, uh, your personal preference or fingerprint on an image, you know, a layer deeper than before, it's so worth investigating and exploiting because that plays out kind of exponentially later on in your look to where just your, your entire collection of photos just vibes differently with people and you stand out more and,
0: you know, that's, that's, here's, -hmm. here's the questions that people would be asking right now. Does this slow down my editing anymore in Lightroom? No. Absolutely. Okay. Not. Cool. Once it's built,
1: once it's built, like it, it, it took me literally six months to play around and like get it dialed in to where I liked it. But once it's built and kind of captured as as
0: the LUT file uh, and imported into Lightroom, it's you're you're gone. You're you're good. Uh, and then second question, I imagine someone's kind of thinking. So then, is is the look all being applied from that, or is there any use of a preset anymore? It, there doesn't have to be, but I did. So uh, the
1: the preset aspect of what I launched in the pack called Signal Flow does have a bunch of presets and you click them and you'll see the exposure adjusted, the highlights pulled back and the uh, shadows boosted and stuff like that. All your normal settings, but that's just like... uh finesse you can actually capture that entire look and save it as a lut if you wanted to if you wanted to just have a one click application but i find that every image needs a little bit of uh finesse and dialing in because by the nature of photos you know everything's different <laughs> so yeah. um yeah you can have it be like a one click thing but you know when was the last time you literally only did one click it can get you again like a huge shortcut 90% of the way there and and save you time ultimately but yeah. It depends on how you want to implement it and, and how you want it to, to work. So,
0: and, and so then the other question I had was, you know, we've been referencing um, develop. D- do you have to own develop in order to use this?
1: Uh, for the thing I built, yes. But there is included in the thing that I built a, I call it the bit depth finalizer, which sneakily, I'm not even sure if they realize it, sneakily it references um, itself. It doesn't reference develop X, but the problem is again, you're going to get kind of weird looks on some cameras that I just can't account for or have any way to, you know, model against. So yes, you can, and it'll, it'll be supported in that. It's just, I don't know what to expect in the look or any new cameras and sensors that get released. Like it's hard to know how things might uh, have changed
0: but yeah, wild. But the, yeah, yeah, I mean, need to uh, get some, uh, one of the guys from, uh, from, from, I always call it D Cause that's how I read it in my brain. Yeah, I know. Devlop <laughs> <laughs> D D-Vlop. Uh, but I want to get one of the guys from develop, uh, maybe on here too. Um, and keep riffing on this kind of, uh, uh, the technical side of stuff. This is wild.
1: I fully believe that, uh, using, uh, lots is going to, depends on how they're implemented again, Uh, but I think it's going to change a lot for still photos. And you can kind of see, I mean, the the convergence of editing now, a lot of photographers are calling editing color grading, which did not exist as a photography term. That was always squarely, to my knowledge, in the videography world. And now Lightroom literally, as as of a month ago, has a color grading panel with mid-tone shadow highlight, you know, the little circles that you can kind of dial into the different Intensities. Uh, they just split, uh, got rid of split toning. I guess that's not a thing anymore. And uh, it's going to be color grading. So, with this convergence, it, it just opens up a lot of cool opportunities. And uh, anyway, you should get, yeah, some of the developed guys. I think a lot of photographers, it's something to be super excited about, but I still haven't found a good way to like explain it in a sentence or two that everybody like, <laughs> they, it totally clicks in their brain. It's going to yeah. take a while before it does. Uh, it, it will reach that state eventually, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We need like this single selling point. Like this is what, like, here's the, here's the pain point. Here's the benefit. Yeah. Like we need to like have a, so actually let's see if we can do that right now. You know, like why, again, I think for the people who are listening they're they've already, they're already tied down with editing. And so they don't want to make it. Any longer than it needs to be, and I feel like that's probably something that we should address with this. Is anytime we're talking about additional editing things, immediately we're thinking about oh, it takes it takes more time, and so so if you could, um, (laughs) what is the pain? And I tried. Trust me, this is not going to.
1: Okay, the pain is uh, the limitation of what color and tone Adobe uh, decided is available within Lightroom. They decided this is this is what the red channel is going to be like, and this is what the blue channel, like the extremes between blue and red, like they they decided what those specific faders are going to adjust, what values. But that doesn't have to be set in stone. You can you can expand or contract like what the red channel uh, adjusts Uh, if if you kind of capture a new interpretation using something more advanced like Photoshop or whatever uh, as a LUT. And that is not a
0: two sentence explanation. That's going to make it very clear. (laughs) I feel like, okay. So the limit, the pain is that, um, whether you realize it or not, your colors are being limited. Yes. And with this tool, you have access to new creative options without adding complexity or time to your editing.
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't even say that your colors are being limited as much as they're just there's a certain layer of the process that has been decided for you mm. in in adobe's decision making or whatever software you're using and so you can actually unlock you can get that that layer of access back now uh, if you want yeah. to so that's and, and so that's where it's like is it really a pain point i don't know a lot of people probably haven't even thought about that limitation in that way so they don't even they don't even know what they don't know but yeah. it, it it actually a uh, certain uh, parallel popped into my head when I was listening to music. I do a lot of uh, like uh, musical production and recording and and engineering behind songs. And have you ever had? Have you ever recorded like your own song? Maybe in your podcast where you're listening to it on your iPhone and it's just not loud enough. Like you you max out your volume and it's like, man, this song just isn't as loud as the yes. commercial song that I downloaded. Right? What is the cause of that? Why can't you just say, "No, play louder?" Like the volume slider stops at a hundred uh, but through uh using plugins in, in song creation, uh, particularly something called a limiter plugin at the very end of your entire you know production chain, you can raise. Uh, the perceived loudness of that song so that it is the same loudness of everything else. And so when you're at a hundred on your iPhone, it sounds just as loud as everything else, but you are achieving that through something earlier in the process than just having like the MP3 file or the WAV file. Um, I don't know if that helps or makes it worse,
0: but (laughs) that made it worse. (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, I'll just mess with you, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> man, this is fun, man. I lo- I love this conversation. This is really cool, dude. I love talking to people that like really like, man, I know so so little. <laughs> and I love when people really make me aware of just how little I know. It really, like, it makes the world so much bigger and so much more interesting and uh, and really a beautiful thing to, to be a part of, even within the, the creative space, like this niche. It, it, you start to think you know something, and then you talk to someone like you, and you're like, oh, oh I don't know anything. This is really fun. Let's go well, see what well, else <laughs> I can learn.
1: There's still a ton that I don't even know or understand. And with this complexity, can unlock a lot of that and can reveal it and and loneliness. (laughs) Yeah. But, and at the end of the day, I think the first question a lot of people would say would be like, just why, why bother? But I think as many layers as you can imprint your unique signature, your preference for seeing the world, uh, and just your overall, well, yeah, your preference for things as, as many layers, even if it's only like a one or 2% shift from something else, you know, store-bought off the, you know, off the shelf or a preset that you're using is if you can adjust it one or two percent on every single layer as deep as you can go back it the end the net end result is totally different in terms of the look and i get this all the time with people in, in, with my photography in general just that they see the photo and they know it's mine before they even look at the name and a lot of that comes from, of course, the way I use light or the maybe the pose or something like that. But I think the vast majority actually comes from the, the look I achieve in editing, first and foremost. It's kind of the yeah. first thing that hits you, the, the consistency yep. of how my reds or my greens look. That's just me Sam I heard what I tend to adjust the most. But other photographers like to adjust blues or pinks, whatever.
0: But anyway. It's awesome. Well, man, Sam, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> like, okay, really we're done. I really do mean it. I, I, have been, I know I've been chuckling my way through some of this stuff, but it's mostly out of like uh, a bit of joy over here. Like there's a new, like there's a new, um, you've unlocked something in my own brain and it's really cool. And so thank you for that. W- where can people find out more about your work? I, and listen, we didn't even talk about your Patreon, but to continue to learn from you on your Patreon or, or to take a look at this signal flow. Yeah.
1: Oh, there's a lot. So Instagram is the the place I'm most active and just updating, you know, whatever in my work or everyday life. Uh, Instagram is I am the Sam. And that's just because I am Sam is always, always taken instantly on every platform. So I am the Sam. And then from there, I tend to share ongoing updates with stuff that, yeah, a lot of it's linked to my Patreon, which is behind a paywall. Some of it's public, but that's kind of an ongoing feed of content where I do post a lot of educational tutorials, photo deconstruction, stuff like that. And, um, and then signal flow itself, my editing suite does include, uh, separate from Patreon or anything else. It includes its own set of like, I think it's eight to 10, something like that videos of how to do all this (laughs) <laughs> how to use signal flow at a basic level all the way up to like how to literally implement your own LUT and create it, which is kind of cool. Uh, signal flow is available, available through, uh, develop. So DVLOP.com. I'm just somewhere okay. in their list, their roster of photographers, but
0: yeah, that's, that's it. It's <laughs> awesome, man. Sam, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, uh, your mind and uh, conversation with this. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ben. Appreciate it.
0: Of course. Podcast listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. This is fascinating. I don't know. I'm feeling really, I'm feeling really inspired from this. Maybe, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really am. I hope you are too. Um, and I'd love to continue this conversation. And and, um, and so uh, if anyone would love to, Uh, I may make a post in the mastermind group. I have a mastermind group I'll talk about in just a second, specifically about this. Maybe we'll link out here uh, uh, to uh, Signal Flow to develop. Maybe I can get Sam in there and see if you guys have any questions for him. Um, But I'd love to invite you guys to come and be a part of that. Um, I have a a free Facebook community called the Six Figure Photography Mastermind Group. And you can get it at sixfigurephotography.com forward slash mastermind. And it's a space that I'm in every weekday, Monday through Friday, I'm in there live. Uh, I do live video content at three o'clock EST every day, just to continue to help push in, help you guys, uh, show up for yourselves and for your business, maybe just by seeing somebody else do it. And so, um, I would love to, uh, to continue this conversation, but all this technical stuff and brainstorming and and images and, and see what we might be able to come up with together. Maybe we can coax Sam in there and drop some links. And so, um, listen, I, I can't wait to see you guys in the mastermind group. Otherwise we'll hear in the next time on the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Until then, bye now.